Good to be here on this super Sunday. <laughs> it's been a sports weekend for me. Yesterday I was watching, and uh, I've watched it too many times, Hoosiers and Rudy. I was watching Rudy, about Rudy Rudiger. And you can get caught up in that story. For me, I get, teary, I get teary-eyed every time I see him run on the, on the field at the end of that movie. And all the hard work, and he, and, he, and he finally gets these two plays, and he, you know, the last game, the last play of, uh, of the movie, he, he sacks the quarterback, and uh, you just think, wow, uh, the little guy did it. And, uh, you know, as, as we think about, uh, you know, today, the, the eyes of the world are on our city, and they're on our city because of sports, you know, a, a gift, I want us to remember that sports is a beautiful gift, just like uh, you think about the major entities in Tampa, you know, kind of the performing arts, they're a gift. The, the major sports franchise, they're a gift from God. Uh, you think about just general fine art, right? That's a gift from God. And then, of course, uh, where we live in this beautiful part of the world where we can, you know, look uh, down at the convention center across um, kind of across parts of the bay or you go out on the bay and you see the beauty of God's creation. I, I think it's important for us to remember, you know, sports is a gift and music is a gift and beauty is a gift, but do we worship the gift more than the giver, right? Than the gift giver. And we need to be mindful of that as we're all going to probably place our, put on our jerseys here in a few hours and get ready, warmed up for the game, except for certain bad people in this congregation that don't love the Bucks. I'm not going to name any. But I, I've already spied a couple of them. Um, uh, what's the biggest story? I mean, what is the biggest story? And what we're talking uh, about now is Moses trying to tell uh, the Israelites. Remember, Moses was 40, and, and he ran away because he, he murdered a Midianite. 40 years, then he's 80, and he comes back, and God does this unbelievable work. And then God says to uh, Moses, I want you to take the people out of Egypt and I want you to do this. I want you to be able to endure this land, the desert. This is this picture of the Negev where he was. And as they were entering into, they thought they were entering into the promised land. They sinned and next thing you know for 40 years and now it's at the very end of his life. And what does he need to tell uh, his people? Uh, so let's go to the next slide. And so we, here he is ver- at, at the very top. He walked around, right? Comes all the way back up, and he's about ready to cross the Jordan River to go into Canaan. You see the Canaan there at the top. He's about ready, and we know what happens. If you were 120 years old, and you had seen God work in some mighty ways and forgive you for a terrible sin of murder, what would you say? What would you say to your people? What type of letter would you write? What, what are the things uh, that you need to emphasize? And so if you have your Bibles, and I realized I didn't do this last week. Sorry, people online. I, uh, it was Deuteronomy 1. We were in that chapter. I didn't even put the chapter reference last week when I got my slides together. I didn't even realize I did that. I was so excited about Dut, you know. I just forgot to put the one. Um, so Deuteronomy, this is actually chapter 6. And uh, this is uh, one of the most famous um, uh, preludes uh, in, in, all, in all of Scripture. And it begins, we're just going to look at verse 1 here for a second. It says, Hear, O Israel, my people, those that I, my family, right? Hear, O Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the reason he says that is because the, the dominant theme at that time was there are many gods. And if you look at um, our society today, um, I, I do believe that people view different things as gods. And um, we have this belief, or we have in, a, in our secular world, this, this idea that everybody has the right to believe in God as it's meaningful to them. And this goes against that. God is saying, no, there is only one real God, and it's me. And here's the hard part. Here's what he's saying. You don't construct me. I am God. I construct you. I am the construction worker that built you. You did not construct me. Therefore, there are, there, there is, there are not many of me, God is saying, depending on you. But rather, he's saying, there's one of me, and you, Israel, depend on me. I don't depend on you. He is saying, I am real. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I am real. I'm as real as gravity. <laughs> I'm as real as death. I'm as real as a Tom Brady fly pattern to Scotty Miller. That's how real I am. There is a uh, a trueness, a thereness, a reality to me. And if you want to know me, you cannot construct me. You have to know me as I really am. You have to believe in what God truly do you. Or are you here? You want to know a little bit about what the Bible says, and you'll take a little of that and a little of this and a little of what I want, and you construct this made-up God. And God knew that was easy to, to, to do. And many of us, I know, when you hear that, you, you think, well, um, that sounds pretty narrow, right? You're saying there's only one God in, in our pluralistic society. That, that sounds very, very narrow. But it's uh, no more narrow than you, right? Don't you think there's only one of you? Imagine if somebody said to you, well, you know what? I think uh, you are smart and you're really good at math, <laughs> And uh, you uh, are, are a little awkward around people. In fact, you're not very good around people. And that's what people said about you. But here's what you knew about yourself. You knew that, you know what? Okay, yeah, I do, I do something. I'm a, I'm a logical thinker. But you know what? I, I flunked algebra too. <laughs> and uh, you know what? I'm really insecure about a lot of things, but... I have some really good relationships. In fact, I think I meet people better than what you're sounding like. What if someone described you in a certain way and you knew there was more to you? How would you take that? I mean, to, 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 to say, hey, this is our view of God and to be narrow or, or, or for us to say, no, this is what God is and for you to say that's narrow, God says, wait, wait a second. I define me. Because if someone defined you and it wasn't true, let me tell you, you'd probably be frustrated and some of you'd be furious. That isn't me. And that's what God is trying to tell you and me. Hey, look, first and foremost, when we start this passage, we are called to know the true God. Do you know the true God? Or does he depend on you? Do you construct God in your brain? 
God says, no, 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 I construct me. I am the one who, decide, who, who defines things and decides things. This is who I am. And then, this, that was at verse four. We're gonna start, at, we're gonna go to verse five now. He says, here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Think about that. Do you do that? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The command here is to what? To love the Lord your God with every, be- every fiber of your being. And maybe in our modern society, we, we think that's a little odd. Because when you think of the, world, uh, of the word love, you might think of it as a feeling. Oh wait, what are you, you're commanding someone to feel something or to, to, to love someone? But that, that's the point. The command here is to love him with your whole life. If you want to know what that means, there are two tests that we can look at. And if you're not loving God with your whole life, um, you'll, you'll know. And so let's look at what it says. First it says, here's one way you're going to know, is has your individual life changed? Since you've come, in, come into a relationship with the Lord, has your life changed? Life transformation has to be a litmus test. And it needs to be in, in, a, in a private way, right? Talk about them when you're at home. Do you do that? When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. In the home, has your individual life changed? Your private individual life, when you're at your house, do you talk about this in your bedroom with your spouse? Do you talk about this in your family room? Do you walk into your kid's room and say, you know what? We need to talk about what's going on in our family. You know, I know mom and dad are having a hard time. That here's what you need to know. You need to know that mom and dad are having a hard time, but our first love is the Lord. And the only way this marriage works is if both of us love the Lord more than we love each other. And we're working on that. And I think maybe we've gotten this cattywampus. And so what we need to do, Johnny, Sally, is we need to make sure that the Lord is on our doorframe. That, you know, it's the plaque that you see when you walk in because we're a little bit off and we haven't made the Lord because, you know, we're not talking about it as a family and we need to. We don't ever sit down at the dinner table and maybe pull out a Bible and read a Bible story and say, let's discuss this. Or say, hey, we were all at church today and hey, Pastor Frank said this and we talked through this. How do you think it applies to our life? Do you talk in your house about what God has done. Many of us do not, right? It's so privatized. It's such about an individual, right? Of course, your individual life should change, but your private family life needs to be changed. But then it says in the home, but also on the road. It can't be any different. Your public life 
when you're out doing your job. And I know you have, there, there are human resource rules and whatever, but it, you have to be looking for opportunities. I mean, we have, you know, think about what's happened over, you know, in Tampa over the past, you know, three, four, five uh, months here. Sports teams have done very, very well. Tell me that's not a conversation point by the water cooler. Tell me it's not easy to, you know, to talk to the waitress about what's going on, but then not leave it there and say, man, that's a gift. It's a gift for our city, but I want to remember, I think we need to remember that there was a gift giver, and we need to talk about that guy more than we actually talk about the gift if you love with your whole heart, it means that you will not just love God on the weekends. That public, private, inner, and outer, all of them, and I ask you, do you love God? And knowing God, understanding God, is, is knowing that what he transforms your public and your private life. Many of us, I know, we want to be in the Christian club when we want to be in the club, <laughs> And when it's not convenient, then we'll kind of stealthily not be a part of it. But he says, look, this is what I want you to look like. It has to affect all of life. It has to affect the way you view people. In fact, there's a parallel passage, if you just jump four, four chapters over in Deuteronomy 10, where it says this, Hero Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to love and serve your God with all your heart, with all your soul? For... The Lord shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the immigrant and the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are immigrants and aliens, for you yourselves were what? You were once aliens in Egypt. Do you not see when, when Moses brings this up and says, your whole life must be transformed, your inner, where you are, the way you are at home, and then your outer so when you see somebody who's an orphan, your heart has to break. Why? Because you and I have been orphans. Left, we, we were without a spiritual father, without hope. And God said, I have, had, I have adopted you, and you may call me Abba. So when we see a, a literal earthly orphan, our heart breaks because we know what? We are left to ourselves orphans. So take care of the orphan. Take care of the, the widow, the widow who has lost their husband. You know what it's like to be lonely. We all know that spiritually. You know the loneliness that comes with that and not having an advocate. You know that because before you understood the gospel, that's where you were. Uh, you may have puffed yourself up, but you know what it's like. So when we think about the, the million abortions, right? that have been performed over the past year and about an average of a million abortions. That's saying to this young child, right? When we, when we think about that, we want to give a voice, right? A voice to the child. Someone who honors their heavenly father. We, we want to honor that. We want to love the immigrant. Because remember when you, remember what it felt like when you lived for hundreds of years in Egypt and you were never a citizen and you were always on the outside you couldn't walk into that shop or that shop you remember what it was like your grandmother and your great grandmother used to talk about that before Moses came 
You know what it's like to be an alien. You know what it's like to be an immigrant. Don't lose that. Because remember what I did to you? You do it to others. We're all, we've all been aliens. And what this passage is saying is saying that, look, knowing God, will, you will know that you know God by your life transformation. Does your heart break for those things? Well, the gospel says the implication is, yes, it has to. Because if you, if you really understand how we have been saved, you know what, that will lead us to a transformative life. But so many of us, we think, no, no, I've worked hard. I've done this, I've done that. And you have to remember, no, if, if, you're, a, if you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're a doctor, if you're a business person, if you're a, you know, whatever, whatever your, your a particular vocation is, Every one of those is a gift from the Lord. I mean, how, how much power and influence do we have even living in America? I mean, imagine if God would have decided, uh, you know what, I'm going to have, I'm going to create Frank uh, to be a blind Tibetan dude in the 13th century. I mean, for real. I mean, God decided I get to live in the most prosperous time, in the most prosperous nation in the history of mankind. Same with you. We have the opportunity to take our influence, to take our skill. All of that has been created and given by God and say, okay, God, when I walk down the road, I need to write them on the door frames. I need to make sure when I put my kid down, I'm talking about it. But when I go to work, I'm talking about it. Is your, has your life been transformed publicly and privately? Because knowing God, what, what do we know? Knowing God, it transforms. It just does. When you know him, you are transformed. And the beautiful thing is that we are all humbled by the grace that God has given us. And Moses is trying to uh, work this into the DNA of his people. Trying to say, hey, you're about to cross the Jordan. And remember what God does. Remember, God, right when the priests are, they have to step first. And this is in Joshua. And the priests have to step into the Jordan River. But the Jordan River was at flood, flood level. And it wasn't until the priests lifted their legs and stepped into, into the flood waters that God does parting of the Red Sea, you know, uh, part two. And it's that type of faith that he wants to work in Moses or into his people. That's what Moses wants. And I think that's what God wants for you. That's what God wants you to tell people this week. Yeah, go to the, go to the Super Bowl party today, right? But, and, 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 and have, you know, I'm gonna probably feel a whole emotional roller coaster. I'm gonna be ADD and I'm gonna be bipolar. I'm gonna be all of it. But we better have conversations that point to something greater than this game. Today and then tomorrow, please, in your house and on the road to your work, your life has to be what? Your life has to be transformed. Verse 10. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant, then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. 
Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God. Serve him only. Take, uh, take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. And his anger will burn against you. And remember, this is in the context of Scripture interprets Scripture. He is slow to anger. We know that. But that means he does get angry. But he is slow to becoming angry with us. Beautifully. Patiently he is slow to anger. But his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. And this is when they were so thirsty, they said, God, if you're really our God, you will make water come from that rock. And they tested him. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. When you think about what Moses is trying to say here, there's a number of things, obviously. But particularly when you think about Moses saying, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Many times we can do that, right? Because when we test somebody, we consider these people many times guilty before they're innocent. And many of you have done that to God before. You deem him guilty before he's innocent and you put him to the test and say, all right, God, upon condition of you coming through for me, right, I will what? I, I will obey you. And many of us, many of us, we, we, we feel like these are, there are conditions that if they happen to us, we could not live anymore. Or we would be so grief-stricken. We would, we would be so anxious that we will not trust him without condition. And that's to know God and to understand his love is to recognize that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know how many horrible sins the Israelites committed? And God said, I'm calling you, Ab Abram, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and there is nothing you can do, there's no condition that you, that you will meet sinfully that will take you out of my grace. And that's what he said to you. You cannot out the grace of God. And if you can understand that and allow that, right, to, to work itself into you. Then you say, okay, if he's done that for me, I mean, and man, my, bad, my worst day is a, is a really, really bad day. Then knowing him mean, means what? I need to love him without condition. But so many of us say, okay, God, well, what if this happens? And we live our life, maybe you're doing this right now. You're thinking about what's gonna happen next week with your job or your marriage or your kids or your friends or your next step in life. And you live life with this imagination about what's going to happen. And here's what God did not promise you. God did not promise to meet you in your imagination. He didn't. And so that's the problem with worry is that we begin to think about these conditions that God won't make in the future. And we think, and then we get nervous. Oh my, well, what if happens that I might lose the house? And man, you see how much debt we're in and what they did what and what, and we live in this future-based, right, 
reality, but it's all based upon the future in our imagination. And God says to you and to me, I will not be with you. I will not be with you in your imagination. You know where I will be with you? When you lose your husband or your wife. When that happens, we know that's in the sovereign, I will be with you. Not when you spend your whole life thinking about losing them. And what we do is we live, we, we use up all of this emotional energy and this worry begins to, you know, we, we begin to live in this. Like I might not get that grade. I might get kicked out of school. I might not be accepted into this. And he promises not to meet you when you're just living your, in your imagination about what might happen. He promises to meet you when it does. And that's the beauty of God's grace. But we place these conditions upon God. You think about the story of Elizabeth Elliot, where her husband, Jim Elliot, is killed by the very tribal tribesmen that he was witnessing to. He was a missionary, and he was killed by them. And then Elizabeth Elliot writes this beautiful book about how you endure suffering. She gets married again and by 46 loses her second husband to cancer. Gets married again. And they said, why, why would you do this, Elizabeth? You have lost two husbands already. One to cancer, one to murder. And she goes, well, I know God has met me in every moment. Every time I've, I've engaged or, or witnessed this tragedy, God has met me, and, I, and I, he has given me what I have needed. And I'm just called to be faithful. I cannot trust, trust God based on any condition. He's doing things to me that I can't even see. It says in Romans, all things work together. All things. So she would say, she, and she has said many times, so I don't know what God is doing. I just know all of it's working together for good. And I know the hardships that I've gone through, God has met me, and he's still using this to kind of weave, right, his, his mosaic. I have to trust him unconditionally. She told another story of, of when she would visit her friends up uh, in, in Ireland, or actually in Wales, and uh, she, she talked about uh, one of her friends worked on a farm and uh, the sheep that uh, they were in charge of would get these terrible parasites and these infections. And so literally, they had to take these, these sheep and they had to, to dump them, submerge them in a vat of antiseptic. Now imagine that. I mean, many times we see, we think, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it's like being a sheep. But we have to trust that the shepherd is taking us and he's dumping us and, 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 and dunking us and submerging us in this antiseptic and we can't see it. All we know is that what? He is good. And when he forces us under to save our life, to say, no, no, I, this is part of your salvation. This is part of your sanctification. We have to trust that God is good. Knowing God means what? It means that you trust him without condition, without explanation, without some of the questions I know that you've asked me. What is God doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why four kids 
in Orlando, two of which were in my youth group, last week lost their father to COVID. And they're just on Facebook and it's blowing up and they're begging God, heal, heal my dad, heal my dad, heal my dad, heal my dad. And God didn't. But I know there was like 1,500 people that watched online and, you know, looked like when I watched online, there was a good amount of people there and they heard the gospel. And I know that Tom's, his faithfulness was beautiful, but they have Abby and Anna this week have to trust, hey, God, I'm going to love you without condition because he's good. And ultimately, God is in control. So knowing God means loving him without condition, understanding that it will transform me, and lastly, it'll be this. In the future, when your son asks you, what's the meaning of the stipulations, right? What's the meaning of all the Ten Commandments? Right? The decrees and the laws, the Lord, our God, has commanded you. I t- tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord uh, sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be for our righteousness. What did, what did Moses tell dads and moms to do? And we have to do this. You got to tell a story. You got to tell your story about how you were saved to others. You have to tell God's story of redemption in you, and then hopefully you could share for them the story of, uh, of redemption in the Bible. And, and how I am the living embodiment in 2021 of the book of Acts. I am the church, you know, that, that, that came from Asia Minor. I am that. I am the Gentile that God saved. And he, I thought he was just going to save the Jews. And then what we realize, all of a sudden the gospel expands to not just the Jew, but to the Gentile. And God grafted me in. I mean, that's the story. Why do I want to obey the law? Let me tell you why. Because my great-great-granddaddy was a slave. And he was telling and putting these things on the doorframe, and then one night, the doorframe was painted in blood. And because my doorframe was painted in blood, the angel of death passed over me. That's unbelievable. And I was no longer a slave. And I got to see the parting of the Red Sea, and I got to then hear God's law about because they didn't know how they were supposed to live fully and now God shared with them. And when we understand the law correctly, we understand it like David and we say, you know what it's like? It's like eating honey, right? It's like a Cinnabon. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm I'm preaching. (laughs) You relate to that stuff. That's what the law tastes like. Let me tell you this story and this is why we're going to obey because God came and got me out of my slavery. 
when I thought my life would just be a bunch of pills. Or I really thought, uh, you know, I, I, I made a lot of money and I have a nice family, but I thought, is there something more than this? I make good money. My kids are pretty well behaved. I have a beautiful wife that loves me, but there's something more. And that's the story that I've heard time and time again here in this part of Tampa where people do well and they experience some of the benefits, but they don't have a big enough story. And we are called to tell them the epic story of the world. And when we understand that, and we understand who God is, and we get to proclaim this story, you know what? You know God more. Because God, or God will use you witnessing to others. It's that step of faith. It's the priest stepping into the Red Sea. It's when you feel nervous and you're saying, okay, God, just use this. I'm going to be humble, but I'm also going to be courageous. You tell the story. It's when people get up here or, or you know, you're sitting with them and they take, they take a, a risk to say, I've never told you this before. I used to be addicted to this. I was lost in this world of sex and I came out of it or this world of pills or this addiction or that it's when we proclaim the story of God's redemption in our own lives. It moves people no end. And we have no idea the good that it does. But I tell you what, the edification that you receive from sharing that allows you what? To know God more. And that's your goal in life, is to know God more. And so Moses is trying to tell a lot of people, please, this is what it means to know God. That's, that's the goal. When you move into Canaan, when you become, when you go to college, right? When you move into this neighborhood, when you engage with this new group of people, please make your number one goal to know him. And then when you know him, share about him with others. Are you doing that? It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? The grandest of them all. And ironically, the hundred or so million people that are gonna watch this game, they need to hear this. They need to hear that there's an even greater story that makes the Super Bowl look like just peen nothing, peanuts. It's, it's the story that changes the world because you know what I get? You know what God saved me to know him and after I die, Tom, here's what I know, is that the scriptures say that Tom's soul is up in heaven and his body's in the grave but he is knowing Jesus right now. And then all the more, when Jesus comes back down, souls and bodies are, are placed together. And what? We get to live everlasting life. You will never, ever die. And so when Christians say, you know what? My uncle who knew the Lord is really sleeping. That's really true. Some people call it soul sleep because we receive eternal life and so think if you might see a sign today when you're watching the game that says John 3, 16, it's for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and feel the effects of Hades, but will what? Will have everlasting life with him. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable that we get to be a part of this story and not only a part of it, we get to tell it to others. Where are you? What does it mean for you to know God? What does it mean for a sinful man filled with the Holy Spirit, 120 years old, to write a letter that we believe is inerrant, fully God, that's called to train us and help us? Allow 
Open your hearts. Open your ears. Please don't let this bore you. I know when we get in the Old Testament, sometimes it can feel so far away, but I tell you what, when you really look at this, it, I mean, there's nothing more relevant than Deuteronomy right now. And it's gorgeous. So let's pray. And uh, as we pray, prepare your hearts. Because what we are going to partake in is the New Testament Passover. That's what we get to take as New Testament believers. Father God.